The information presented in this podcast is intended to be for entertainment and educational purposes only. It should never be used in place of advice given by a mental health or medical professional or as a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're struggling with a mental health issue, please seek professional help. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fangirl Business. I'm Catherine. And I'm Krisha. And today we are going to continue our discussion of the 15th episode of Supernatural's 15th season, Gimme Shelter. But this episode, we're going to talk about subtext. Because it's been like so long since we've recorded a subtext episode. (laughs) It has been. I mean, not only was it a really long break between the last episode and now but I mean the first new episode of season 15 and a half or whatever it is that they're calling Mm -hmm. it it didn't really have enough for us to do a subtext episode so Mm -mm. we kind of skipped it so I'm really excited to do a brand new subtext episode with you Krisha I missed you subtext yes (sighs) and there was so there was like just so much fun stuff in this episode subtext wise you always notice way more than i do but even i noticed some stuff (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that beginning scene that whole beginning sequence was just me shrieking about how we were getting married dusty content again after so 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 long Mm -hmm. it made me so happy Do you explain, do you unpack what it was that you were squeeing about? Well, they were they were dividing up the parental duties and um, it was adorable and slightly frustrating because I feel like there was some continuity stuff that didn't make a ton of sense. You know, like we were talking about last week with last holiday, why is Cass gone? Didn't make a ton of sense. And then now Dean and Sam are like, oh, we gotta go. Stay here with Jack. And Cass is like, why don't I come with you? Because, you know, Cass is logical. And And they're just like, no, we're and you know, Cass is like, you can't just go barging in. And anyway, that part, I was... It was adorable, but also like, yeah, Cass has a point here, guys. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so they're like dividing up the parental duties. They're trying to figure out who's going to watch Jack, Mm -hmm. basically. Cass is back. So Dean's like, yeah, we have this lead on Amara. So we're going to go and you stay with Jack. But hey, don't just sit around the house. You should go keep him busy. Go teach him something. It's like (laughs) the the hunter equivalent of going to play catch in the yard or something. Go find a case. (laughs) And Cass is just like, no. You know, because he's been gone for weeks. I'm sure he's not super interested in going out to work a case with the baby. Mm Mm-hmm that from the beginning they're pretty sure is not a monster or a demonic case mm-hmm. so he's kind of like why yep why sam what's this case about i wouldn't worry about it it's uh not our kind of thing you sure it's nothing spooky i mean a kid got killed it's tragic obviously but the local cops can handle it great so you know what? Why don't you and Cass go run it down just to be sure? Really? What? Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Just none of this is, makes sense. Why are we doing this? And the looks. Ugh, the looks. So not only from Cass with his squinty-eyed exasperation, but the conversations that he and Dean were having through their eyes. <laughs> and it's not like it used to be that they would pine, right? It was the... <laughs> the, the eye coming. <laughs> and <laughs> now it's... They've moved on to bickering through eye contact. And it's just the best thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love you so much for noticing that. Yes. (laughs) That is the logical progression. Yes. Right? When a child enters the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh man. (laughs) You watch the baby. No, I don't. Why can't we all watch the baby? Like, I've had him for weeks. You need to take him. We're gonna. Yeah, I just. (laughs) It's perfect. And then. And then the looks that they're giving each other, you know, because Dean knows that Cass doesn't want to take Jack out on a hunt. But Dean is, like, throwing him under the bus because Jack wants to. So Dean's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And Cass is like, come on. And listen, have you seen the screen caps of the look that Dean gives Cass when Sam confirms what Dean is saying? Because it's a look. No, I've been avoiding Twitter like the plague. <laughs> we have to pause for just a second because I have to show you this facial expression. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is some kind of way. That's, that's quite a look, isn't it? It's like sultry, but smug. Right. But playful. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot going on there. And like I said, Ooh. it's not one that... I would... <laughs> Whew. Down, girl. <laughs> give, me, give me a second. <laughs> okay. It's just not Please. a look that we have um, seen a lot of in the past. <laughs> so. No. Okay. What was the moment that prompted this? When Sam agreed with Dean. This is the look that Dean then sent to Cass. Those things do not follow. <laughs> it was very much like, I don't know. I mean, if I didn't know the context, I would be like, that is a come hither look. Right. Last person that looked at me like that, I got laid. <laughs> oh, boom. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this scene. There's a lot of uh, micro-expressions and a lot of eye-conversations, and there's just a lot. You said that there, you said that there wasn't the pining look, my God. Well. <laughs> it's not pining, but it's something. Well, and I mean, like, Ooh. you look at Cass's face. Cass is just like, really? <laughs> He's very, like... He's doing his head tilt, which is... <laughs> it's, I think I was just 
just so caught up by the cuteness of the head tilt mm-hmm. that I missed that look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm trying to wrap words. It's come hither. It's, it's smug. Mm-hmm. It's sultry. Hmm. Damn. <laughs> come on back, Catherine. Come on back. I'm, I don't know. I might live in this photo for a while. I know. Um, <laughs> it's a fun place to be. No, but like, Wow. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that happened. (laughs) Well, and so what I find to be hysterical is that, so they have this conversation, and then they're walking down the hallway, and Cass is Mm -hmm. following behind, and, you know, Cass is just rolling his eyes and the whole nine, and Dean is just sort of doing his Dean thing, and Cass is following along, and then Dean gets to Amara, and it's like... She and I used to have a thing. And Cass just stops, stops. walking. <laughs> just dead. Like, no, I'm out. Stops. Done. Dead. I'm done with you. Ooh. Dean, Amara is dangerous. You can't just charge in. We're not, okay? Plus, you know, she and I used to have a thing, so. <laughs> yep. That happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did, and I laughed yeah. for a really long time. time to pause it because I was like trying to get it done Ooh. <laughs> I saw it and I went oh <laughs> well that got a reaction <laughs> that was for us that was for us thank you yeah. well, it's just so funny because it's both a testament to Dean knowing how to get Cass off his back and Cass just mm. being 100% done with Dean's crap. <laughs> I've reached my limit. It is right here. <laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> Fine. Go off and get smote by a deity. Like, whatever. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's just so good. I mean... Listen, Dean mentioned his ex in front of... Mm, no. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it was a great moment. Mm-hmm. I appreciated it. Actually, I want to go back now and see what Sam's face looked like for that comment. Do it! <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. I had not considered until just now. Sam has to be just like... Sam always has the best facial expressions <laughs> when he is putting up with their <laughs> Oh, let's see. God, I love him. He's the most long-suffering man. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. That look, that kind of sultry-ish look, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was going off and on throughout the conversation. <gasps> really? Mm. And I think the hallway was beforehand, actually. Oh, was it? Yeah. Love that that expression wasn't a once-off. Dean missed cast too. <laughs> okay. Sam looks at Dean like, hmm. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more about what's going on with his facial expression. Uh, it, it's just a split second. Like, Sam is face front, you know, just walking down the hallway. And mm-hmm. then Dean's like... Yeah, we used to have a thing. And Sam just like snaps over to him and then they walk off screen. So it's just like a, a super quick. But yeah, so they're walking down the hall and then they walk into the room. So 
by the time they're in the room, Cass is already done with Dean's crap. And Dean ah. already knows he has the upper hand, which is why he keeps pushing it with Jack. And like, because he's just <laughs> taunting him at this point. <laughs> and that's why Cass is just constant squinty eye eye roll. What? <laughs> good, good stuff. So funny. Mm, I love them. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the past there's been a lot of subtext that's episode wide and I feel like for this one it was a lot of little bits just like a, a lot yeah. of it wasn't like a, a coherent theme I don't think or it wasn't like a they weren't trying to tell a whole big story it was just little nods here and there which I feel like is consistent with a lot of what we've been getting in general from these last episodes is these little nods here and there to a whole lot of things mm. so one of my favorites from this one was well there's two but Agent Swift sent me just... Great, you found it. Which one did I talk to on the phone? Agent Swift. They filmed this before her newest album. I know. But <laughs> that means that they're going based on her just angst, right? She sings about, uh-huh. like, love angst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never trust a playboy, but they love me. So I fly them all around the world And I let them think they saved me They never see it coming What I do next This is how the world works You gotta leave before you get left And who had just been talking about their ex? (laughs) (laughs) My brain did the same thing He's just going through every female singer that focuses on painful, unrequited relationships or breakups or whatever. And I, every time I just, <laughs> I know There's a million singers that they could be picking here, but, but it's been Lizzo and T Swift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. What was your other thing going to be? The other little quick thing that they inserted was when they were calling the crossroads demon, oh. Cass put a picture of himself in the cowboy hat <gasps> in that's the right. box. And we know that that's a promo shot. We know that. But within the context of this universe, who would have taken a picture of Cass wearing a cowboy hat <laughs> and then printed it out? <laughs> oh, 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 oh my gosh, my brain had no <laughs> I am really. <laughs> Dean was taking pictures of Cass in the cowboy hat and saving them and printing them out. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, okay, because my brain had just gone to the... Look, just act like you're from Tombstone, okay? The city? The movie. With Kurt Russell, I made you watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with the uh, guns and tuberculosis. I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that whole scene with the two of them mm-hmm. being cowboys together and Dean's cowboy kink... And it had not gone to the place (laughs) of who would have taken the photo within Mm -hmm. the universe 
And then he gave it to Cass. And I love that that's the picture that Cass keeps around. I know. For this kind of thing. Because I'm quite sure he knows that it's a picture that Dean would love. Because he's wearing a It's oh so perfect. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, those were my big like squee favorites. I have existential questions about other things. And obviously like the Dean Amora conversation raises yeah. some textual questions. Dean and Cass, their relationship has been solid. Yes. And he joked about Amara. Dean joked about Amara on the way out the door, but it seemed like the closer they got to her, the cagier mm. he got. And yep. Cass was sort of asking how they were doing, and Dean just shut him down and hung up mm. on him, basically. Okay, well, hey, uh, just, you know, be careful of those hallelujah types. I mean, most play it straight, but there's some that think that every fed is deep state. If I were you, I would divide and conquer. Have Jack drink the Kool-Aid and sign up. You go in flashing a badge, you know? Okay, I understand. How's the search for Amara? Well, it's dandy. We'll talk to you later. And it wasn't a cast thing because they had just talked about the case and Dean was happy to talk about that. He just specifically did not want to talk about Amara. With Cass. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of talking about her with Sam, but he, he was being cagey even with Sam. Mm. So I can't figure out if it was a cast specific thing or if it was just Dean being wigged out by Amara, which both seem plausible. Yeah, because I mean, Dean does not like not being in control. No. We do know that. And he didn't have control over his feelings in the situation with Amara. I don't want to call it a relationship because relationships need consent and mutuality. And I don't think that was there. It was all about this attraction that was at a cosmic level that wasn't really attraction. It was something else, but it was manifesting in terms of, you know, desire in the physical realm kind of deal so maybe we can backtrack a little bit and talk about that first of all because I mean you and I have talked privately about Amara before and I like Amara for a lot of reasons a lot of those reasons being that she shed light on the truth of who Chuck is which is a far more complex and problematic god than we had understood at that point you know we I kind of characterized him to myself before Amara as flaky, (laughs) but well-intentioned. And she's the first one that really brings up substantive issues about who's telling the story and how the narrative is framed by the victor and how that's problematic and how his truth is not her truth. And so I liked her for that. The soul-eating thing wasn't cute. <laughs> Some issues but, there. Uh, uh, there was there were just a few. But I think the thing that was the, the big, biggest problematic issue for me was the way that her relationship with Dean was framed. And I think he made her softer in many ways. And gave her access to sort of an understanding of what humanity was, but it was in this very 
non-consensual way yep. in that he had an attraction to her that he did not want, but he had no control over. And I don't think it was something that she started out trying to exploit, but later on it was definitely something that she pulled on. Like when she appeared in the bunker, it's been a while since I saw this season, but Mm -hmm. she started using their bond. And so there were just some really uncomfortable elements to that. But again, like I I think it's really within the past few years that we've started to come to terms with thinking about non-consensual stuff in terms of men being victims as well. And so I think they were kind of playing with that, but I I don't think that it was something that they had a full grasp on as it was happening. Hmm. And so I think that kind of the further we get along, the more problematic and complex our interpretation of that is. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not, but that was kind of my take on it. Yeah, I think think even then it was supposed to, I interpreted it as non-consensual and that that was Mm. being directly confronted because it, Mm. it, I feel like Dean struggled with it really hard and felt so much shame and violation in it. And so I felt like they were being kind of purposeful in demonstrating that. And it was Mm. deeply uncomfortable. And I felt like, like Amara creeps me out. Just full stop. Like, just (laughs) like, that's it. She just does. So, and that's from the very beginning all the way through, there's, she just creeps me out. She gives me a vibe. I don't know. I I feel like we are supposed to lately have started to like her more because she, a lot of the things that she did with, with Dean and with humans was because she didn't understand. I mean, she was almost like Jack in a way, you know, she was just a baby. Like she didn't, she was ancient, but she hadn't been around to, to understand people and how they worked. And so she didn't quite understand the context of what she was doing. And then once she did, she started to value humanity and care about people and such, but she's continued to creep me out. And then this episode sort of drove that home again that she maybe may be nicer than chuck but she's still one of those cosmic beings that just doesn't get it Mm. and she thinks she does as they all do Mm. and so i feel like the the non-consensual nature of her relationship with dean i think messed with him really hard and and now when he's coming to terms with Maybe his whole life was non-consensual in a lot of ways. Having her back mm. trying to teach him these lessons is triggering. I mean, it, it, I, I think it, it really is. And so that's why I'm really nervous about that idea that they may have some kind of link still. Because he's yeah. trying so hard to figure out what's him and what's Chuck. And now it's, well, what's him, what's Chuck, what's Amara? I, mm. You know... I just I hate that for him. And if she has any pull over him, it I just, I hate it. Like, I've always hated it. I super mm. hate it now. So my concern is that he's getting cagey about it and not talking about it because he's not sure what's going on or that he's feeling shame or guilt mm. or just isn't sure. And he's trying to sort out what's, what's him and what's not because he's come so far on communication. And so to have him now have something this big that he's shutting people down, especially Cass and Sam on, makes me nervous. 
Yeah. And when we're talking about subtext, I mean, season... Season 11. Which was her season. Like, goodness, there was a lot of... When they're trying to defeat Amora, she uses Cass, who's being inhabited by Lucifer, but it's Cass. Like, she uses him as bait for Dean. She uses him as a way to manipulate Dean or try to get his compliance or whatever. So, you know, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. It's just hard for me to trust her. Well, and then she she also talks about how he's like an insignificant angel and when he tries to like square off against her and then carves in his chest that she's back or whatever and sends him as a message. So her yeah. treatment of Cass has been pretty freaking Crappy. Yeah, she creeps me out. I don't trust her. I don't trust her relationship with Dean. It would be lovely if he could completely throw off any influence there as part of his free will. Yes, absolutely. I think too, for me, part of the, like, as much as we laughed in the last episode about the musk. Creepy. It was creepy. And (laughs) I mean, there's something like the idea of sensing somebody by smell is very animalistic Mm. and like often like and it it was very sexualized Mm -hmm. language so that was uncomfortable and I couldn't tell what Dean's reaction was to that in all honesty like I couldn't tell if he was putting on a front and being cocky Dean Mm -hmm. or if that was genuine and he was being flirty with her I couldn't tell. And I think that was part of what was unsettling about so much of their interactions was I couldn't tell who the real Dean was in that moment. In, in like these moments to moments, like at the gas station, I couldn't tell if he was genuinely flirting with her or if this was like some him putting on a front in his conversations with her at the diner. And when he was saying, like, he would never hurt her, they've said that, they've used that language in the past, but I couldn't tell if he was genuine or if he was lying to her face. So it was very difficult for me to figure out what was going on with him. Usually I feel like I can figure out where Dean is standing emotionally in a scene. And I couldn't in a bunch of scenes in this Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. And I think that was part of why I found the episode so unsettling, to be honest. And I'm really glad that we're talking this through because I hadn't figured that out until I just said that right now because we always kind of know where Dean is from a genuine standpoint and we weren't getting that sense this time it was really hard to figure out what was going on with him yeah so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I I agree and then when we get into my kid's gonna scream through all of this um Amara's talking about how she wanted to try to help him let go of old ideals and myths and and of a better life and just like accept his life like all we want is for Dean to accept himself and accept his life but like hearing it coming from her in that way was just cringy well because she she felt she knew exactly Mm -hmm. what his life should look like Mm -hmm. and was trying to like push him in a direction and we know what we want for Dean but we can't push him in any direction like we don't have that power as an audience so I think it was because of the power imbalance at work. Mm -hmm. And I think just saying that out loud, again, is helping me to articulate part of the squick factor 
for me with Amara and Dean is because the power imbalance is so great. And anytime you have a, a power imbalance in any kind of relationship, there's the possibility of one person abusing the other person. Mm -hmm. And so, and this is like a huge power imbalance. So the fact that she is trying to teach him or or shape him or mold him to feel or be a certain way or not feel or not be a certain way when there's that implicit power imbalance is super ugh. Yeah. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. You said that you wanted to show me something. That you wanted to, uh, to teach me something. But I don't know if you were following along with your little experiment. It came to a not-so-happy ending. My mom is dead. So what exactly did you want to show me? What was the point? I wanted two things for you, Dean. I wanted you to see that your mother was just a person. That the myth you'd held on to for so long of a better life, a life where she'd lived, was just that. A myth. I wanted you to see that the real, complicated Mary was better than your childhood dream because she was real. That now is always better than then. that you could finally start to accept your life. Hmm. And the second thing? I thought having her back would release you, but that fire out, your anger, But I guess we both know I failed at that. So that's another element of their relationship that I think is important to mention. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that goes because it's not comfortable with it at this time. And I (laughs) never have been, but yeah. Neither am I. And I think it's always been this weird, like it's, if we're gonna call it a relationship, it's his most recent relationship. And it's always been, I think, in the in the face of like Dustiel fandom, it's been this weird heteronormative possibility for mm. Dean yeah. that undermines the potential of other options for him, namely Cass. And so I think it makes sense that like as Dustiel shippers, we're kind of, we kind of have some antipathy towards Amara. But I think that there are a lot of reasons outside of that for us to have concerns about Dean and his feelings about Amara and how much they're his feelings and how much they're not, how much is the connection through the mark and all of that complicated weird cosmic stuff i just think it's fascinating too when we look at it through the lens of destiel the idea that chuck as god doesn't get dean but thinks he does and amara as the darkness thinks she gets dean but she doesn't but then Cass is also a celestial being right he's he's not god or the darkness but he's still like he's an angel and he gets dean he does because he took the time to get to know Dean. He's been human and he's taken the time 
to understand Dean on Dean's terms instead of trying to push Uh. Dean to be something that he's not. And so I think that that's just really lovely. And, you know, I think that's why Amara makes me so uncomfortable or part of it. I'm just really tired of everybody telling Dean who Dean should be. And that's different from setting boundaries. That's different from, you know, like Cass wanting to have his feelings and his autonomy respected. But Mm. yeah, I just, yeah. Dean deserves to be around people that have his best interest at heart and who understand who he is and how important choice is to him and respect him enough to give him choice. And Amara doesn't. And it's icky. I don't like it. Yeah. So. No. (laughs) You know what I love about what you just articulated Mm -hmm. is that within the Dustiel fandom, there's very much the mm, mythology surrounding the profound bond and how Cass knew who Dean was because he rebuilt him atom by atom from, you know, a soul into a body Mm -hmm. when he pulled him from hell. And I think that's really romantic and beautiful. And... You know, he does talk about the profound bond and he he does leave his mark on Dean. But I think what you just articulated is a much more profound bond in that Cass took the time to get to know who Dean is on Dean's terms Mm -hmm. and has continued to get to know him on this journey over the years. And his own journey has shaped and changed how he understands Dean you know like you said once he became human that changed his understanding of Dean so I think what you said sort of demythologizes the idea of the profound bond because yes there may have been something cosmic at work in their initial connection but it hasn't been until much further on in their relationship that Cass really has grown to understand and that's because he's put in the time and he's put in the work mm-hmm. and he's respected Dean's boundaries, but he's also really paid attention to what Dean does and what Dean says and how he reacts. And that's why he's able to say things to Jack like, you know, Dean, he, he feels things more acutely than any human I've ever known. So it's possible he could work through this. One day he may explode and let it all out and breathe deeply and move on. And we've talked about how he just understands him. And it's because of the work that he's put into that relationship that he does. It's not some sort of mystical cosmic thing because the Cass who pulled Dean out of hell and, and laid that mark on Dean was also the Cass who said that he would throw Dean back into hell if he didn't respect him. Mm -hmm. You should show me some respect. I dragged you out of hell. I can throw you back in. And that's, you know, that's not a two-way relationship. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And in the best relationships, you both cause each other to grow and change over time and I think we've seen that with Dean and Cass so I just appreciate what you just said about difference between Chuck and Amara and Cass because I think it does some important work in terms of taking apart the mythology surrounding Dustiel and and looking at it in terms of real human relationships and, you know, it's something that any of us can do. And that's 
profoundly beautiful. <laughs> so thank you for articulating it the way that you just did, because I feel like that just like my brain just went all hmm. kinds of really fun places with it. Yeah. Well, it leads me to the big sort of question I had in this episode. So Destiel content is always, well, is typically pretty subtle. It's been rather blunt mm. recently, but mm-hmm. so... Sylvia, when she was sitting there talking to Jack, Jack was asking about Connor, who was the boy who had been killed, and she said, Connor and I, we dated years ago. Sort of. More like we watched a lot of old movies together. We were kids. He was always there for me. This episode was written by Davy Perez, who wrote Tombstone. And so there was some Tombstone callbacks. But in that, that calls Mm. back to part of Tombstone was them talking about the movies that they had watched together, Dean and Cass. And so when I first heard her say that, I was like, oh, that's what dating is, right? Like getting together and being there for each other and watching old movies together. Like (laughs) they were dating. And then we get more into it and we are told that Connor was gay. All faiths and backgrounds are welcome. What do you mean by, um, backgrounds? Connor didn't have to live in fear of who he was. A gay man who believed in a tolerant God. And so she was Um. actually misinterpreting his sexual orientation, and she was misinterpreting their relationship and what was going on there. And I was like, okay, so was that a, a nod to Destiel? Or was that a subtle message that we're getting it wrong? Interesting. My immediate reaction would be that she's the villain of the piece. So <laughs> that's a good point. That's I a solid point. Wouldn't <laughs> I? I wouldn't rush to parallel her with either Dean or Cass. It was more like the the meta of it, like where the writer is trying to tell us something. Well, they could have been, hmm. but I mean, like we've talked about. <laughs> What the writers think is only part of the equation. We just disagree. Just like the spelling of Cass. We just do not accept. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's completely fine. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling fiery about this. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So, yes, they could be trying to tell us a message. But I wonder if I would pair her more with Amara. Mm. Because she is... Somebody who thinks that she has a superior understanding of the people and the world around her. She believes she has a connection with a boy that she doesn't in fact have in the way that she thinks she does. In the way that he wants. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not what he wants. Yeah, exactly. And in the end, she tries to teach him a lesson. Hmm. So if I was going to compare her to anyone, I think it would be Amara. And then that makes me think of Dean. And isn't that an interesting parallel? (laughs) (laughs) Look at you wrapping that all the way around and back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it was, it was, I think, so in this episode, we have Amara specifically talking about how she set things up to try to get Dean to live more authentically or to be more accepting of himself and his life in the same episode Mm -hmm. where Cass and Pastor Sexy are having an open conversation about the sexual orientation of a 
gay man and how he found acceptance in this place. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. yep, I think that was important. Well, and I think, too, if we want to take this metaphor further, there is a certain judgment that Amara is casting in the fact that Dean didn't learn the lesson that she wanted him to learn. Mm -hmm. And similarly, Sylvia, she enacted judgment against this boy for not living what she thought was the correct way that he should be living. Hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. So I I would take it in a very different way than a way about, you know, Dusty L in terms of like pairing up the relationship with Dean and Cass and Sylvia and Connor. I think there's some possibly more interesting things if we compare Amara and Dean to Sylvia and Connor. Yeah. See, I knew you'd be good to ask that question too. Hmm. Well, that's, (laughs) that's lovely. I accept and internalize your assessment. Thank you. (laughs) you're so welcome it's my pleasure (laughs) i think sometimes we well i think we can go down some some unfun paths with stuff and i think no matter where our analysis takes us we do need to remember that at the end of the day it's about more than just author intent Mm -hmm. and i'll keep harping on that till the end of time i know we'll take turns like depending on who's having a tough time that week you know i think it's been interesting for me you know i'm forever saying like am i only seeing what i want to see and i think it's interesting that after the last couple of months where the dusty l fandom has run into a lot of judgment and there's just been a lot of fandom related drama that's been really disheartening it's interesting that i went from being so hopeful and seeing so much positivity and wonder and happy to now that the show's back every week i'm like oh am i seeing you Mm. know and so Mm. it's interesting i don't know if that's my headspace that that colors the way that i interpret it or if it's just like the nagging i don't know fear is the right word but you know just anxiety about where this is going so Mm. you know i don't know but it's just an an interesting little reflection i guess of how i've been interpreting the subtext lately yeah and i think it's worth thinking about because again we are relative newbies to the Dusty L fandom, both of us, and we have not experienced the ups and downs that many of these fans have over the years. So I think sometimes when you come in fresh, it's easier to have those kind of excited, happy, joy, joy feelings. But I'm, in a way, I'm glad, even though it sucked and I'm mad about it. (laughs) I'm, I am glad that I've lived through just a, a snippet of what the wider Dusty L fandom yeah. has experienced for a really long time because it is really disheartening when you get clobbered from really unexpected corners and really unexpected places regarding something that you value so much. And I know that a lot of the Dusty L shippers have gone through a lot of really heavy stuff over the years. So I think it's been worthwhile to have a small taste, a small experience of that so that we can better appreciate the fact that, yeah, a lot of Dusty L stands struggle mm-hmm. and have a really hard time with the, the way that they so deeply love the ship and the way that 
it has been represented on the show and talked about by various figures surrounding the show for such a long time. So mm-hmm. I think it's been worth experiencing in a, in a weird way. I'm glad that I've experienced it because it helps me to appreciate more just how incredible these long-term stands are of this particular ship. And I just like, I keep saying my hats go off to them because mm-hmm. Dusty L shippers are, I, I just have immense respect in that respect just keeps going up yeah so yeah yeah because i you know i watched the show for the first time in 2012 and because i was only half watching it because i had a newborn i didn't pick up a lot of the non-verbals and so you know so i didn't pick up on it i didn't pick up on destiel when i was watching i remember when i got done with Mm -hmm. that first watch and then i went to social media and i saw it immediately and i was like wait what dana kasser and then it was just that thing that you sit with for like a second and a half and i was like Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did I see that? It's funny. (laughs) Uh I'm there. Yep. Yellow, right? Um, And so, so, like, I have shipped it since then, but not in a way that had any expectations attached, I guess, the way that it does kind of now. Mm. But I was also in a different place with my own personal journey with myself and and my sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And so, you know, that's what's so amazing about this show is that... It brings out different things at different times, and it's helped me evolve Mm. and understand and reflect on different parts of myself. And that's true of the show and the fandom, and it's this really lovely feedback loop, I guess. So, Mm -hmm. you know, now that we are well and truly down the existential rabbit hole, why does that keep happening when we talk about subtext lately? (laughs) (laughs) That's just because we're getting towards the end, and we're like, just really... Really reflecting on the journey, huh? I think it's a little bit of everything. I I guess for me, let me think about this for a second. If we're going to be super reflective, it's interesting. I, I always try to manage my expectations when it comes to the show. And I've been working really hard to do that so that if nothing does come to fruition with text, text, text in terms of Destiel realness, that I won't be devastated. But I can't ignore how meaningful it would be, you know, talking about coming to terms with our own sexuality as somebody who is mature and has just sort of started to come to terms with my sexuality within the past couple of years to have that be something that I see on screen with a character who is around my age and who presented to the world as straight for most of their life. I mean, that that was my journey. Mm-hmm. So it would be incredibly meaningful to see something like that on screen with Dean in terms of affirmation and representation. And I mean, I would cry a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. if that ended up happening. But I think that... You know, I've seen, I I just recently read an article where they were talking about if we don't get canon, Dustiel, I say that with air quotes. I do that a lot. Mm, Like cats. (laughs) That the entire legacy of the show would be tainted by the queer baitings that has happened. And I've really sat with that and thought about it for the past week. 
and just tried to like non-judgmentally feel my way through that. And I think in the end, for me personally, there is meaning in the journey of discovering Destiel for myself that will have a profound impact on my life going forward and already has had a profound impact on my life now. And how the show ends can't take that away from me. Mm -hmm. And so for me personally, I feel like today (laughs) I'm in a place where I can sit in gratefulness for what this ship has given me in my life. And that sits outside of any sort of discussion of canon or non-canon and any kind of ending. And gosh, I really, really, really hope that we get something beautiful at the end of this show. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to define for me what this has meant for me. Does that make any kind of sense? No, it does. Because I think, you know, when I look back, you know, so it's 2012 and I have just looked at Twitter and recognized SDL and been like, oh, yeah, totally see that. I didn't have expectations on it because the show was still going, you know, and and Mm. so... I think when a show is still going, whether it's a het relationship or any kind of romantic slow burn, you don't expect that until the end, right? Because that's Mm. the hook, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just always enjoyed it because it was like, oh, they're going to keep flirting around it for another year. Cool. Season 10, season 12, season 14, like, you know, fine. And so now with with a headship, you always know they're going to pay it off at some point unless the show gets canceled. And I guess that mm. that's the tough part of this mm. because you're exactly right in that what the ship has given me personally will not be changed by what happens if they bro paddle all the way to the end. For me, it won't. I mean, I'll be enraged. Don't get me wrong. But like (laughs) the journey that I went on will still have been my experience Mm. for new people, though. I think it might influence whether other people come to the show or not because they would know already. You know, a lot of people find out before they start what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think it would be kind of a tragedy that other people might not get to have that same journey, you know, because binging is very different than than a week-to-week journey with a show. That's a really interesting insight. I was helping my daughter today, helping her find what she wanted to watch on TV. And there's a, I can't remember if we were on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it was, but she said, what's that section? She's like, what does representation matters mean? Mm. And we had this really long conversation about representation and television and fiction and, and how that impacts perspective and how it normalizes certain things. And I'm sort of explaining messaging to her. and We're going through like the, the race and gender and sexual orientation of most of the, the characters that we read books about or that she sees. And, you know, at eight years old, she was able to recognize She's like, well, there was one gay character in one show that I watched. And she looked at me and she mm-hmm. said, one, <laughs> you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, one. And that's with her having parents that are pretty purposeful in trying to make sure that she gets representation in the things that she's watching or reading. So, you know, I guess it. I have hopes and expectations. I have hopes because I think the representation mm. would be huge and life-changing, world-changing for not only individuals, but at a societal level. Yeah. But we'll see. 
I don't know. But I do think the closer we get to the end, it's not that just fun week to week playing with the subtext kind of stuff. It really is like, where where are we really yes. going? Like we're we're into the yes. last five. Like, okay, so what are we doing here? Like what's happening mm-hmm. here? What is the message that you're gonna leave us with? So mm. yeah, we're probably gonna get, you know, more and more existential as it goes. Because um, <laughs> that's just kind of what we do. Yeah. Thank you for talking this through with me. Hey, you too. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of important stuff that we needed to figure our, our way through with the subtext, both in terms of this episode, but also, you know, we talked at one point about doing sort of a state of Dusty L thing, mm. and, and that just, we didn't have time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this has been a really important discussion in terms of the wider feelings that we have about Dustiel and why and I think I just want to encourage our viewers like no matter where you are in this particular moment or day with your feelings about where we are or where we're headed those feelings are important and valid and we love you and we acknowledge that it is hard to be a Dustiel shipper mm-hmm. <laughs> and that these times are very angsty and difficult but you're not alone right and so I just wanted to throw that out there to everyone who's listening yeah and you know it's interesting for context and then we'll wrap up I swear but Mm. we released a subtext episode not long ago but we did we recorded it in March and so I I think it's fascinating how much of the conversation is the same and how much of the Mm -hmm. conversation is different you know, with all these months mm. in the middle and all these months without even having content, you know, it was just like a mindset <laughs> between March and what month is it? Is it still 2020? October. I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is so 2020. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's, it's interesting as much as it seems like we just talked about this for us. It's been a very long time since we've yeah. recorded talking about it. So thank you for indulging us and and listening to our existential ponderings and processings because Mm. yeah i think it was helpful yeah thank you Mm. so i think we will wrap it there for this episode you can message us and stay up to date with the latest on our twitter and instagram pages at the fangirl biz that's b-i-z or b-i-z we will see you again next time until then Carry on, we have word friends. We love you guys. Bye. cats are playing well, in the okay, box again. It's okay, because the guy across the street has his four-wheeler out and going... <laughs> Just f*** it. Y'all are going to get what you get this episode, okay? <laughs> Life is happening in the background. We can't stop it. <laughs>